This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Monday matinees begin right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The Sonic Summerstock Playhouse. Welcome to the 2011 Sonic Summerstock Playhouse. And once again, the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse brings you classic theatre adapted and performed by some of the very best audio players. So without further ado, here's your host for this week's show. Hi, I'm Chris Barnes. Come on into the theatre. Check this place out. Done really well here. Nice red carpets. Oh, there's an usher. Good evening. Welcome to the Summerstock Playhouse. That's quite enough of that, thank you. Um, I'll get some peanuts and things later. Right, now, business. Really nice decor in here. None of it's nailed down. I'll be borrowing some of that on my way home. Thanks, guys. Anyway, anyway, what was I here to do again? Oh, yes. Tonight, Summerstock Playhouse proudly presents Scattered Sounds Productions' reimagining of The House in Cypress Canyon. Enjoy the show. Suspense. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Tonight's play, The House in Cypress Canyon, by Robert L. Richards. Merry Christmas, Jerry. How's the real estate business? <laughs> Kind of early with your greeting, aren't you, Sam? Well, I gotta get him in sometime. I may not see you again till next Christmas. This real estate racket gets any crazier, I'll be dead by next Christmas. <laughs> I'm glad you could get up here, though, Sam. What's on your mind, Jerry? Oh, you... You probably shoot me when you hear it, Sam, because I'm probably nuts. But, but doggone it, you're a detective, and you're my pal, and I just had to tell somebody. Well, you sound like it's serious. That's just it. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, Sam, but... Now listen, you, you know we're agents for a group of houses up in Cypress Canyon? Mm-hmm. Those places that were started before the war and never got finished? Oh, yeah. All they got in were the foundations, just concrete and a couple of beams. Well, they've been finished now. In fact, I'm putting up the full rent sign on the last one of them today. Well, what do you want? Police protection from the mob? Listen, Sam, this house I'm talking about, it's got a number now, uh, 2256. But before, when the men went back to work on it about three months ago, well, they just started when the foreman on the job brought me a shoe box that he found up on a beam. And this box had a, a what do you call it, a, a, a manuscript in it. A story, kind of, all written out. Yeah? 
Well, he gave me the thing, I read it, and I didn't think much about it. I put it in my desk, but the other day, as I happened to be driving by there, I saw the number on the house, and what the house looked like, I thought of this manuscript. It, well, I don't like it, that's all. There's something funny about it. Well, what's funny about it? Well, mind you, this thing was in an unfinished house in Cypress Canyon. house was only just started building. All right. Well, listen, Sam, I want to read it to you if you've got the time. Then you'll see what I mean. All right. Shoot. Well, here's how it begins. Um, to whom it may concern, my reasons for setting down on paper what follows here will be abundantly clear. It will be abundantly clear to anyone into whose possession it may fall. First, let me say that I'm a very ordinary person. My name is James A. Woods. I'm 35 years old. By profession, a chemical engineer. My wife, Ellen, was a schoolteacher when I met and married her in Indiana seven years ago. There's nothing in the past life of either of us that would suggest remotely any cause or reason for the dreadful thing that's invaded our lives. Our married life has been in no way different from that of billions of other average, reasonably happy, and congenial families. Three months ago, I was ordered by my firm to take charge of a rather minor project in Los Angeles. Well, Hollywood, to be exact. The order was a sudden one. There'd been no time to secure accommodations, and conditions being what they are, the inevitable result was that, until the day before yesterday, we'd been living in the cramped quarters of one of those characteristic California motels. Needless to say, most of our spare time had been devoted to a search for something more permanent and comfortable, but the fruits of these efforts had been financially and in every other way a geometrical progression of discouragement. Until last Saturday afternoon, only four days before Christmas. We were driving into town on our way to a movie when Ellen saw it. Jim, look. What? That sign in front of that real estate office. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't you see what it says? For rent, furnished two-bedroom house, close-in, immediate occupancy. Yeah, uh-huh. Aren't you gonna stop? Oh, Ellen, you know what a sign like that would mean, right out in plain sight in front of a real estate office. Um, yeah, but Jim... Yeah, probably they want $600 a month. We'll never know until we ask. If it's any good at all, there are probably 50 people fighting for it right back there now. Well, honey, there's no harm in trying, now is there? You really want to go back? That's probably foolish, but what can we lose? Okay. Oh, darling, come on, cheer up. How do you know? Maybe our luck's changed. Maybe fate's going to give us a nice new house for a Christmas present. Sorry to bother you, but we just happened to see that for rent sign outside, and, uh... Oh, yeah. I just hung it outside this minute. Is... Is the house available? Why, sure. Sure it is. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is James A. Woods, and this is my wife, Ellen. How do you do? Wow. Looks like it's fixing the rain. Yeah. 
So it does, doesn't it? Well, it was one of those things. The real estate agent had just been authorized to rent the place by mail that morning, and he'd hardly had a chance to look at it himself, put up his sign when we drove up. It was just an ordinary little California house about halfway up Cypress Canyon, number 2256. Just an ordinary, undistinguished little house. The agent didn't know much about it. Construction on it had been stopped by the war and it had just been completed and furnished lately. Been vacant while somebody's estate was being settled and now it was owned by a bank in Sacramento. Of course, we didn't care about that. Got this key in the mail along with the authorization or in. Only one there is. Of course, you can have duplicates made. Seems to stick a little. Oh well, there it is. Doesn't sound as though that door had ever been opened. Well, a little oil in the hinges have fixed that all right. Oh, sure. Well, now here's your living room. Furniture's a little dusty, of course. You gotta expect that. It's good furniture, though, you see. Benson Brothers. Yes, uh-huh. Now, over here is a little den. Panels, you see. Radio, fireplace. Really a very attractive little room. Particularly for a man. Uh-huh, yeah. Now, the, the bedroom's off the living room here. Everything's all on one floor, you understand? Uh-huh. It's uh, quite nice, I think. Yes! Uh-huh. You can see you get the morning sun here. There's a few of the canyon through these front windows. You got cross ventilation. That's about all there was to it. It wasn't the best place in the world. Small, badly built, but... What would you have done? We took it, with as little inspection as that. It was the Saturday before Christmas. And the very same evening, we were struggling up the steps from the road with suitcases and boxes and armloads of clothes and all the endless bric-a-brac that people collect and never know they have until they move. Ellen began unpacking, and I began moving things around and taking the worst of the pictures off the wall. Doing all the little things that everybody does when they move into a new place and try to give it something of their own personality. Yes, Roma wines taste better because only Roma selects from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. Don't be such a sourpuss. You know, it's a roof over our heads for Christmas. That's more than we ever thought we'd get, isn't it? Now, what in the world are we going to do with those two pictures? Well, why don't we just leave them where they are? Jim, we can't. They're too awful. <laughs> All right. Put them in the closet, then. I can't. Both the closets are jammed full. No, I mean the other one in the, uh, the little alcove off the den. At least there's a door there. I suppose it's a closet. I don't know. Uh, that isn't a commentary on the housing problem, huh? A woman moving into a house without even knowing where all the closets are. <laughs> Take the pictures down, will you, honey? Bring them in here. Okay, okay. Uh, guess you'll have to help me with this door. I can't get it open. Let me see it. Well, of course you can't, silly. It's locked. Where are those keys we found in the desk? Here they are. Yeah? 
Not this one. Sure, this one won't work. Nope. Feels like an awful solid door for a closet. Hmm. That's one solid door in the house. No, this one won't do it either. Well, we'll just have to get a locksmith up here on Monday. I'll put the pictures behind the desk, okay? Yeah, yeah, all right. Jimmy, if we could just help me move this armchair, huh? Oh, Ellen, will you let it go till tomorrow? Do you know what time it is? Aw, but honey, I'd like to get the place looking just a little bit. Yeah, but it's almost midnight. In fact... What was that? Tomcat, I guess. Out in the brush somewhere. Sounded near. Hope that doesn't go on all night. <laughs> well, there isn't much we can do about it. Come on, Ellen, I'm dead tired. All right, Jim. Where'd you put the toothpaste, honey? It's right in the medicine cabinet. Oh, yeah. Jim, we ought to get some firewood tomorrow. You know, a fire in that living room would make all the difference in the world. We can't. It's Sunday. Well, Monday, then. Jim, I think red curtains are what we need, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, just at least for the living room. Anyway, the ones in there now have just got to come down. Yeah, I suppose they do. What do you think of red? Well, I guess it's salt. Jim? Some tomcat. Jim, it... Sounded in the house. Oh, now, how could it be in the house, Ellen? You've been over every inch of the house. Except that closet. How could a cat or anything else be in a closet that's been locked up for over a year? I don't know! Yeah, probably under the house. A wildcat or a mountain lion or something. I hear they have them in California. Jim, I don't like it. Well, neither do I like it, but there's nothing we can do about it tonight. Oh, maybe you ought to call somebody, the police or some neighbor. Oh, don't be silly, Ellen. You act like a kid. Come on, let's let's go to bed, huh? Oh, all right. I suppose it is silly. Jimmy, did you lock the door? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can I turn up the lights now? Yeah, all right. Good night, Ellen. Sleep tight. Good night, Jim. I don't know what time it was. Perhaps an hour, perhaps only a half hour later. My mind was in that hazy borderland between sleep and a dream that's still part of consciousness. Then I was awake. Uh, Ellen? Ellen? Are you all right? Yes. Did you have a nightmare or something? No, I heard it too. Well, that didn't sound like any cat. Put on the light. Yeah. It seemed to be... out there, Jim. In the house somewhere. I'm going to look into this. Jim, you be careful. Come on. Where, where's, where's my shotgun? In the den, I think. 
Jim? What? There's, there's something wet. What? Wet? Running from under the closet door. Sticky. Ellen, don't, don't, don't touch it. I had to. Jim, it's... It's blood. It cannot be too difficult to understand from the foregoing why I have taken the pains to set down in writing the events related here. To find in one's newly rented home a closet which cannot be opened and is in itself certainly no great cause for alarm. But to be awakened in the stillness of the night by unearthly cries within that house, to find oozing from under that closet door something that is unquestionably blood, that's another matter. Perhaps others might have been braver than we, suffice it only to say that we got out of the house in something very close to a panic, and only returned when we had the moral support of two stalwart Los Angeles policemen. You, uh, just moved in here, you say? That's right, officer. You can... you can see we're still unpacking. And the place has been empty right along before that? Yeah, I I don't know much about that part of it. You could check all that with uh, the real estate agent, though. Uh, well... Where... where is this closet? Oh, it's... it's right in here, officer. And... and the blood... the blood is... Where? Where's the blood? Jim? Officer, I... I swear to you, there was blood on the floor less than an hour ago. I... I I saw it. Uh Uh-huh. It was running out from under that door. We heard that noise, and we got up, and then we saw it. The door was locked. Locked? Uh, no, I... Well, it seems to be all right now. Hey, uh, you folks aren't trying to be funny, are you? Isn't there anything in it? No, ma'am, there is not. Look, officer, we're reputable people. You can call my firm. They'll tell you all about me. There's nothing wrong with this closet. Walls are solid. No trap doors. Well, if you think I'm lying, you... I didn't say that, mister. Oh, you probably did hear some sort of a noise, and you got a little panicky, and... What about the blood? It, it got on my hands. It isn't there now, is it? Yes. Where? I... I feel it. Now, you folks just take it easy. You know you're liable to hear all kinds of noises up in these canyons at night. You're, uh, from the east, you say? Uh, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, officer. Oh, that's all right. If you have any real trouble, call on us anytime. All right. Well, good night. All right. Good night. Hey, <laughs> you gotta have this door fixed. That's enough to scare you. Yeah, we're, uh, we're gonna have it fixed. We didn't say much about it after that. There wasn't much that could be said. The next day, I went down to a lot and bought a little Christmas tree and some trimmings, and we tried to pretend we were cheerful. But there was an uneasiness between us that had never been there before. Ellen seemed tired and listless. Several times during the day, I noticed her washing her hands with a a brush, 
scrubbing the one that had touched the blood. That night we each took a sleeping pill and went to bed. It was some time after midnight when I was suddenly wide awake, staring into the darkness. In some way, I knew at once and instinctively what had awakened me. Ellen was not in her bed nor in the room. The nameless thing I had feared gripped at my heart until I could scarcely breathe. I opened the bedroom door and started through the house, putting on every light that I could find. There was not much to search, but I searched thoroughly. The living room, the kitchen, bathroom, den, even the garage. And all the time, the dread of looking where I knew at last I must look. I think I knew from the very first where I'd find her. It must have been a full minute that I stood before that closet door. Then, I opened it. She stood there, rigid, her arms at her sides, her fingers extended like claws. Her hair was over her face, her eyes stared out of it. Her lips were drawn back in a grin like an animal bay. For a moment I was frozen in the of it. I stretched out my hand. Very deliberately she turned her head and sunk her teeth until they met into the flesh of my forearm. I'd raised my hand to strike at her, but... Already she'd relaxed her hold and gone utterly limp. She would have fallen unless I'd caught her, carried her into the bedroom and laid her on the bed. Strangely, at that moment, my only thought was how I might revive her, until I saw that it was... It was not a faint, but a sleep that she'd fallen into. A sleep as deep and heavy as though she'd been drugged. And so, I left her. But for me, that night... There was no sleep. Jim? Yes, Ellen? <sighs> what are you doing up so early? Oh, I... I got a little restless. Went out to make some coffee. Oh. I had the most wonderful sleep. Oh, and I feel so rested. Do you? Mm-hmm. Jim! What? What's the matter with your arm? Oh, I... I just heard it. Well, honey, it, it's terribly swollen. Let... let me see it. No, it's all right, Helen. Oh, it isn't all right. You've got to see Dr. Wesley right away. Yeah, sure, sure, I will. No, now you promised me, Jim, that you'll go the first thing this morning. How'd it happen? Oh, I, uh, uh, with that, th there was a, a dog. Dog? Yeah, I, I heard him trying to chew through the screen door. I went out to chase him away, and he bit me. Well, you mean with all that racket and I didn't even wake up? No, Ellen, you, you didn't even wake up. It was clear to me that Ellen knew nothing of what had transpired the night before. I went to my office that morning and made a pretense of going over routine business, if only to restore my mind to some semblance of calm by the sight and sound of common, familiar things. The pain in my arm had become a persistent, dull throbbing. I made a late appointment with Dr. Westleaf. He treated my arm with something of an arched eyebrow, and he said, Well, I've never seen anything quite like it before. That is... Such a rapid onset of infection.
It was dark when I left his office. I hadn't realized it was so late. Driving home, my car seemed seemed sluggish until I saw the needle on the dashboard. Realized I was pushing it to the utmost of its speed. I was racing home to prevent prevent something before it was too late, before the darkness conspired against me. For somehow I already knew with certainty that it was the darkness, the night that I had to fear. The curves of the canyon seemed endless. Then the cold fear reached up inside me. My house, too, was dark. I went slowly up the stone steps from the road, looking and praying for some sign of light or life. There was none. The house was empty. Ellen was gone. I looked with the same self-torturing thoroughness, and in that closet first of all, knowing as I did so it was hopeless. And so, alone in that empty house, I waited, powerless, helpless now, deadened in thought and will, empty as the house itself, save only for the overwhelming sense of a terrible foreboding. Sometime in the early hours of the morning, I snapped on the radio. Shortwave. Why? Surely a minor question now. I only know that I did. And then I heard it. Car 58, car 58. Go to Laurel Canyon, the 4000 block. Report that a man has been injured or attacked. Condition thought to be critical. Ambulance will follow. That is all. I was there almost before the police, edging my way through the little crowd, staring down at the man lying there in his white uniform under the streetlight. Yeah, the milkman, poor guy. I heard him scream, but when I got here, he was just like that. All right, all right, stand back. Please, please, stand back. Well, you again. I I heard it on the radio. I, I, I live just down the road. Yeah, yeah, I remember. What happened? Well, take a look. Maybe you can tell us. He was dead. He was lying on his back. And his throat had been torn out as though by the fangs of some wild animal. It is now Christmas Eve. Or rather, Christmas morning, for it's a little after midnight. I've been waiting here, here in the stillness of this empty house, for nearly 24 hours waiting for the end. Already once tonight I've heard that dreadful wailing cry somewhere in the hills. I've nailed up the closet door, but Dad, I I know it was childish, useless. My arm is horribly swollen and turning black, but that's nothing. It's another end that I foresee as, as surely as other men foresee the rising of the sun. I hear the cry again. It's nearer now. I shall leave these notes in a sealed envelope and put it in a shoebox in the hope that someone will give credence to these dark and terrible events. 
if indeed such nameless horrors can ever yield to mortal understanding. As for myself, I feel no longer any fear or even sorrow. Only a desire that the end, the thing I must do, may come soon. And it will be soon. I know. Yes, for there is someone at the door. Someone at the door. Huh? What do you make of it, Sam? It's quite a yarn. Well, what of it? That's what I thought. Now, listen, that's not quite all of it. Oh? Clip to it's a newspaper clipping. Listen. Hollywood, December the 26th. Police reported what was apparently a case of murder and suicide in Cypress Canyon sometime in the early hours of the morning. The victims were James A. Woods, a chemical engineer, and his wife, Ellen. Preliminary investigation indicates that Mrs. Woods was killed by the blast of a shotgun in the hands of her husband, who then turned a weapon upon himself. That she fought desperately for her life, however, was evident by the disorder of the room and the severe lacerations inflicted upon her husband about the neck and arms. This is the second tragedy to be reported in Cypress Canyon within 24 hours, the other being the unexplained death of Frank Polanski, a milkman. Well, no such murders or whatever they were ever occurred if that's what's worrying you. The clipping, well, you can have those things printed up, you know. Oh, no, it's not that, Sam. The story was found in an unfinished house in Cypress Canyon. No number, no nothing, just a framework. Uh Uh-huh. Now that house is finished. When I drove by it today... But that's what stopped me, Sam, because it all fits... Now that it's finished, it is the house in the story. The same construction, the same vines and creepers in the lawn, even the same number. So what? A guy who knows roughly what this house is going to be like writes a yarn and loses it or something. Did he know the place was going to be listed for rental today, the Saturday before Christmas? Jerry, coincidence. Two bits you find the guy next door is a ghost story writer or something, and he's been wondering for a year what happened to that thing he wrote. Okay, okay, coincidence. I'm sorry I bothered you, Sam. Don't be silly. I liked it. It's a good yarn. Um, that the for rent sign you were talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put it up outside now. Uh Uh-huh. Well, so long, Jerry, and Merry Christmas again. Yeah, well, thanks, Sam. (laughs) I guess I was kind of silly, all right. Listen, when a guy named, or whatever it is, Woods, with a wife named Ellen, comes in to rent the place from you, then you can start worrying. (laughs) Yeah, well, so long, Sam. So long, Jerry. Man. Oh, uh, we're sorry to bother you, but we just happened to see that for rent sign outside, and, uh... Oh, yeah, I just hung it outside this minute. Is... is the house available? 
Campbell? Why, sure, sure it is. Uh, let, let me introduce myself. My name is James A. Woods, and this is my wife, Ellen. How do you do? Wow, looks like it's fixing a ray. Yeah, so it does, doesn't it? Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Tonight's story, The House in Cypress Canyon by Robert L. Richards, was originally produced for the classic radio program Suspense by William Spear on December 5, 1946. This evening's presentation was produced by James Sedgwick of Scattered Sounds Productions for the Sonic Summer Stock Playhouse. Featured in our casts were... Casey Locke as James A. Woods, Mindy Rast as Ellen, Chris Barnes as Jerry, Lothar Tuppen as Sam, Michael Liebman as Policeman Number One and Dr. Westlake, Carrie Ayers as Policeman Number Two, Kimberly Poole as the Police Radio Dispatcher, Julie Hoverson as the Lady in the Crowd, James Sedgwick as the Roma Wines Pitchman. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Special thanks to David Krauss for a new rendition of the suspense theme. Sound effects found at the Free Sound Project. Sound and mastering by Jimmy Jam. This is H. Keith Lyons. Good evening. And that's this week's performance for the Sonic Summerstock Playhouse. All productions, performances, characters and scripts presented in the Playhouse belong strictly to their copyright holders and no copyright infringement is assumed or intended. The Sonic Summerstock Playhouse is part of the Sonic Society podcast and Electric Vicuna Productions. Any shows that continue their run must have explicit permission from all parties involved. Join us next week at the Playhouse for another classic performance. With thanks to this week's host... I'm your announcer, David Alt. Good night.
Lucky Shines. Pardon me, but what the exact hell? This has the mark of mischief all over it. Go while you still can. It may be a figment of your... I think you and I need to run. I'm a cult detective, the premier investigator of the supernatural. I must figure out what is the cause. It's wearying. I simply won't last long as I am. Are you certain? We've heard of some awfully strange things around this area. It's true, as articulated by the letter I was handed. Signed by someone named Nix. It's simply the overlapping of life and death. Two different worlds meet out here in these woods. No, you can't follow this path. It's too dangerous and far too familiar. If you're not careful out here, you may find yourself a ghost one day. It seems you're caught up in a good old-fashioned ghost story, Mr. Pensworth. I'm not sure there's anything old-fashioned about it at all.